We want to praise the Lord.
Praise the Lord. That's the first thing you've learned since you got to church this morning. You were made to not be ordinary. You were made to thrive. Don't you love that encouraging message? Thank you, choir. That was wonderful. God bless you. You look so good today. Welcome to Stratford Heights. We've come to worship the Lord, and there's lots of things going on here this morning. Look at someone and just smile and say, God bless you, and be seated for just a moment. Yeah. You can be seated for just a moment here. There's some exciting things going on. One of the things in our building program um, that we're working on right now, of course, is we're trying to get the early service people and Sunday school people out so the other ones can come in and park. And so just be patient with everybody and wave and say hello to them as you go by trying to get in and out of the parking places. You can do that. Show you your, your love and fellowship to those that are coming in, changing service. But there's going to be a special time capsule placed in the, the ground here at the building program and in about 25 years. I think it's 25 years, and it'll be brought up in 25 years. So we're asking you to take a small piece of paper and write on it a prayer request or something special that you would like, names of, of your loved ones. And uh, anything you would want to put in the time capsule, how much you love the church or what's going on with your life, and bring it in. We're going to, we need those by next week, so please be sure and um, you can, I don't know, uh, there's not any paper in the back of the seat, but maybe you've got some uh, uh, paper in your purse or uh, borrow some from someone you see with a tablet or something and write. We have some paper at the Welcome Center you can get to. Fill out something and put it on here, and I've got some already turned in, so we want you to be about that so we can have a good uh, little deposit to put in the ground. And 25 years from now, I won't be here. Yes, I may. I'll be back working in the millennial reign. <laughs> we talked about that in Sunday school. We're going in the rapture just any moment now, so we'll be in heaven about seven years, and the, all the terrible things happen here on the earth, the tribulation, and then we're going to come back with Jesus and establish his kingdom and rule and reign for a thousand years, so we may get to bring that time capsule up if we get it planted in time. So you, you need to get yours in. Bring us in a good description of what you're looking for, and uh, we'll put that in. That'll be interesting when we read it. Okay, and most of us are reading the Bible through this year. It's wonderful to read the Word of God. And uh, we love, we had good Sunday school and good early service. And now this is our mid-morning service. But uh, there's lots of things going on in our, uh, in our beautiful bulletin. I love the church bulletin. And I appreciate the ladies that make it and work in it. And inside there is a list of all the things that's going to be happening to. Everybody say to. Two weeks from today is our 100-year celebration. Aren't you excited about it? And we're not only going to have wonderful services and things on Saturday, but we're going to have a lunch. Liz, yes. I have to interrupt you. Okay. Okay. All right. Here's the deal. That weekend is going to be amazing. Yes, it is. We have red carpet laid out. I mean, on Saturday night, there's going to be this red carpet be a picture gallery. The whole lobby will be filled with photos from our hundred years of history. We're going to have all kinds of special guests are coming in from all over the whole country. It's going to be an amazing, amazing weekend. We have a reunion choir that's going to be doing a homecoming on Saturday night. Plus, 
We've been waiting anxiously. If you have not heard about this, we are doing, we have been doing this last year. Josh and Missy Boyer, who he works for ProVision Cinema, which is a great company and does excellent work. I mean, television quality work. He has been working for the last year on a documentary for our history. And we've got interviews and, and reenactments. I mean, they have done, it is like they have blown it out. It's going to be the most amazing video you'll ever see. And it's got our history all over. That's what it's about. And it also kind of in, uh, does the history of Middletown. And so it's really a beautiful thing. I've seen little bits of it, and I can't hardly wait to see this. And if you see Josh and Missy, thank them for the hard work that they've done in putting this together. Because it looks like something that ought to be on uh, cable network television it's wonderful so that's going to be our history but also on, on Sunday morning Bishop Tom Madden is going to be our special guest speaker all former pastors are invited and are coming all kinds of former staff members are coming they're sending in their RSVPs now so it's going to be a special time lots of people will be here people are coming from Georgia from Tennessee from uh, you name it you even got somebody coming from Alaska who's going to be here so it's going to be a great weekend, but after the service is over, there's going to be a luncheon. Now, if you don't get a reservation for this luncheon, seats are filling up fast. I understand it's limited seating, and I don't even know at this point how many are left, but Janelle is going to be standing out at the lobby. There she is. Everybody look at wave at Janelle. Everybody say hi, Janelle. Hi, Janelle. Hi, Janelle. Janelle is going to be standing out at the annex in the information center. And she has got the ticket. She can put your name and your reservation down. Because of limited seating and because we have the Lee University Symphonic Band here, we're going to feed them too. Because we've got so many people, we have to have a ticket. So you've got to make your reservation. It won't near. The, the meal itself is probably going to be 15 20 bucks you know, a pop for each person. But we're only charging $5 in order for you to get your reservation and get your seat in. So make sure there's also, if you're a family, there's a group, there's a family rate, and she's got all that figured out. But get your reservation. There's a limited number of seats left, and you need to be there. How many are already going? Let me see your hand. Oh, wow. Okay, good. If you haven't got your ticket, see Janelle after service. Hey, I've got a great idea. What? Right. What is it? We're having a big weekend, right? Why don't we have a dinner after that Sunday morning service? Where? Where would you have the dinner, Gary? Well, we could do it back in the gym. No, we're, That's we're a good idea, Gary. Uh, Go we could back to your piano. We could sell tickets. <laughs> we could sell tickets for five bucks. You better get them. <laughs> Sorry, I had an out-of-body experience there. Is it time for me to sing? Oh, kid, we're not going to pray for Israel today? It's a good thing I'm here this morning. We so organized around here. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you coming and being with us. We have greeters that are standing back there, folks that want to get information uh, on you. If this is your first time to be with us, would you just slip up your hand? And if you're here today and you, this is your first time, we got new, time, new folks here. Thank you so much for coming and being with us. We want to now invite everyone to stand. Your job over the next couple of minutes is to get to as many people as possible and let them know that it's great to see them in God's house on a Sunday morning. God bless you and thank you for being with us.
Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it now. Jesus said it. He said, believe on me. Believe on me. Believe on me. Believe on me. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. The word of God said it. Jesus said it. He said, believe on me. Stop for just a moment. 
we acknowledge the state of Israel. I don't ever want this to be something that, that becomes routine and almost liturgical. How many of you know that the Bible is clear to point out, to teach us, that we are to seek the good of Israel? This week, this last week, as never before, you're seeing where it is important for us as the body of believers and God's children that we stand with Israel. The world would seemingly turn its back on God's people, on God's plan, and God's ways. But here in this house, we will honor and stand with God. His word, which says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And those who seek the good of Israel are blessed. And those who don't are cursed. I want to fall under the mighty blessings of God. You know, the word blessed, amen, the word blessed doesn't just mean when I say God bless you or when you, you say I'm blessed. We're not just simply saying, hey, I wish you goodwill. I wish you a good day. When we use the word blessed, that means we are invoking supernatural powers of God to be at work. When I say that I'm blessed, I'm saying I have the supernatural power of God at work in my life. I pray for your blessing. I pray for you to be blessed. I pray for the church to be blessed. And today I pray for Israel to be blessed. One day the Bible teaches us that there is going to be a revival. One of the greatest revivals on the face of this earth is going to come right out of God's holy land. When they finally acknowledge and they realize that Messiah has come. Man, they're going to see it for themselves. And the Bible talks about a great revival that will happen among those people. In the meantime, we stand with them. And we will seek the good of God's grace and love in their lives. Amen? Join with me right now as we pray for Israel. Father, as we come before you, we know that many political circles, lots of news agents, Lord, will tell us that this is a waste of our time. Lord, we know that the world would turn its back on the state of Israel. But Lord, this little country, no bigger than the size of New Jersey, is surrounded by their enemies like they always have been. I don't remember a time in history, Lord, when they didn't have them on every corner and every border with enemies staring them down. But Lord, I remember the prophet who stood looking up into the hills who declared that there were more that were for us than are against us. And so Lord, we today at this church stand with the angels of God in chariots of fire. We stand with heaven and seeking the good, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We seek her blessings. We ask you to protect her borders ask you to touch her leaders, challenge their hearts. And God, we ask that you will provide for them, hand over fist, handfuls on purpose as you did Ruth. Bless them, God. Bless them abundantly. And as we seek their good and pray for them, we also pray for the church of God all around the world, the church of the living God. We pray that wherever there are believers under the iron curtain or hiding out and different places because of the torture and torment that comes their ways. We pray for protection over them. We pray, God, for our own country, for an 
ways that are different perhaps than are happening in different countries. Lord, we're still under persecution and attack. And I pray for the church. I pray your blessings and strength and and protection, provision over them, over all of us, as we work hard to build your kingdom. Touch our country. Lord, I pray for America. I pray for her still to be blessed because, Lord, in every state, on all of our lands, there are many, many believers who trust in you, who cry out to you early in the morning, to seek your will and your face. So, Lord, you, God, please bless America. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, taking time in this service to turn our attention towards the things you love and to pray, God, for your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you. Why don't you put our hands together and give God praise. can be seated. The scripture that I choose this morning for our, our gift and our giving is a simple scripture they're probably learning in children's church today. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave. How many of you know that God is generous? How many have experienced that God is generous? Amen. His grace, his wonder, the marvel of his touch upon our lives, the gift of eternal life, The Bible is clear to point out that God is a giver. Now, when we're born, we are born to be takers. The newborn, the newborn, even now, is is gifted right from life and, and programmed to be a taker. They need us for everything. And as we go and transition through our lives, we remain that way until until we mature in our spirit or until we've accepted God into our lives and when we accept the Lord into our lives our very nature changes to a super nature where God's blessing and his strength is on us we don't act the same we don't think the same we don't walk the same we don't live the same the Bible says be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind We become new creatures. We become like Christ. The word Christian literally means little Christ. And it's it's a mandate to us that we become more and more like Christ in our journey. Someone jokingly said one time, well, you ain't Jesus. You know, I take that and I understand. None of us are perfect. None of us are glorified yet. We still live every day fighting the flesh like Paul who said I crucify this flesh every day I'm I've yet to meet a perfect human being yet now maybe you're here today and if so would you introduce yourself to me after service but I'm not one of those people and I haven't met one yet we live every day and our souls are saved and I've said this for years but our flesh 
It's not. You and I will fight that all of our lives. But the crazy thing about God's word alive in us is that as we meditate on his word, live in his precepts, trust in his spirit to fill us and to help us to walk spirit-filled, we become more and more and more like Christ. We begin to look like him. We begin to talk like him. We make decisions like him. and He becomes a true reflection in us of the change that has happened in our heart. And when that happens, we become givers. We become givers. You can't be like Christ and not be a giver. It just doesn't happen. I appeal to your heart this morning as we give the church practices as you know what it teaches. When you give in the free will offering, all the loose offering, we made a decision many years ago, every dime goes to world missions, directly to our missionaries around the world. We keep none of it in the 830 service or the 1045 service. Not one dime will stay here. In these services, we live off of those who are faithful to pay their tithe. And so I appeal to you in your heart, as you give to missionaries around the world, be obedient to God's word. 23 different times in scripture, in New Testament scripture, Jesus talks about the tithe. It's our mandate. It's our command. It's mine. And I don't fail to pay my own tithe. And I encourage you to find the mystery behind God's words when he says give and it'll be given to you. I challenge you. I was talking with a young man the other day and we were talking back and forth and he said, well, why do I have to pay tithe? And I began to share with him what scripture said, but then I also pointed out to him, I said, listen, you need to understand something else too. The Bible says to test me in this. Test me in this. See if I won't show you. And I began to share with him one testimony after another of people who trusted in God, who did not have it at first, but they gave because they knew they were trusting not in their own monetary workout, their own econ economy, but they were trusting in God's economy. And by trusting in the Lord, he came through for them. How many in here would say, honestly, you would say, I learned the mystery. I learned what happens when you trust God with everything, including my finances. I learned. Amen. Amen. I challenge you today. I challenge those who have not yet trusted God with your tithe. It's been reported that if everyone in this congregation who had a good job and who paid a mortgage and had bills, and if they had a good job, they would pay tithe. It has been reported, and we have seen it come to pass in, in the figures that if everyone would pay tithe, we would never be in a building program. We would never have to worry about sending missionaries on the field. We would never worry about anything this local body needed to build the kingdom. It would all be here. There would be no need. But we understand and know that we, we, we trust God and we gotta learn. So I challenge you to learn, to look into God's word and ask the hard questions because God has answers. I just wanted to teach you that this morning and challenge you, especially young couples. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I'm asking you to trust the Lord. I wouldn't ask you to do it if I didn't believe in it. 
I wouldn't ask you to make sacrifice if I didn't believe in you. And it's not for the church. I feel what I'm saying to you. It's not for the church that I'm asking. God always takes care of his church. It's for you. And I feel the Holy Spirit when I say that to you. Some of you are in financial bondage. And you are in a mess. I'm teaching you. I'm challenging you today to trust the Lord. Watch what he does. Start with little. and Let him have what you can give him. And I promise you, he'll multiply that. And he'll bless you. Supernatural power of God working on your behalf. You'll be blessed. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning. I thank you for our missionaries on the field. I thank you, Lord, that we will not ask from this congregation, but before we will also give ourselves. And Lord, we are giving. We'll give these offerings away to the missionaries and ask your blessings that it will meet the needs they have as they're ministering. And Lord, we ask you to use us to help them, to bless them. God, I pray for those who are trusting you and challenged in their own lives to step forward, God, in their giving. Lord, I pray that you will touch them and give them the courage to step out and to trust you. Lord, there are miracles and testimonies waiting to be born in this very house today by those who will dare to step out and trust you with their finances as they do with their children, with their house, with their marriage, with their lives. I pray over them, Lord, and I pray your great, great blessing over their family, over their heart today as they trust you and step into the unknown. I know that, God, you'll meet them there. In Christ's name, amen.
Show me. 
Make me a house. Make me a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Oh, Lord. Make me a house. Make me a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Would you take your hand and place it on your own heart this morning? I want you to pray right now. I want God to bless your house. I want Him to bless your family. I want Him to bless your body physically. You might need healing with one of your kids, or you might need healing in a relationship, a marriage. Or you might need healing with your family, restoration and renewal. Let God's power work in you right now. Become a house of prayer. A resident. A home means that it's the place where you live. Lord, I want to live in prayer. I want my home to be prayer. I want you to touch every man, every woman, boy and girl today. Touch them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, touch and minister with healing power. We believe. We know that you're able. Nothing is impossible with our God. Touch and heal even now in this service. I believe someone is being healed right here, right now. In the name of Jesus. I believe a man and wife that came in here today, they've been struggling and wrestling. They've been fighting and there's been no peace in their house. There's going to be peace right now. Jesus is restoring love and behaviors and attitudes. In the name of Jesus Christ. We believe you. We thank you, Father. Change us. Transform us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I don't know what you might need. Maybe everything in your life is just perfect. Maybe you've come in here and you don't know what in the world we're doing. You don't have any clue why we are taking time to do this. But you know what? You don't understand what others might be going through today. And when they come, you know, all of my life, whenever I've come to the house of God, I've always come hungry. I've come thirsty. I haven't come to do no religious duty. I've not come in here to fulfill an obligation I feel like I got to go to God's house on Sunday because I've done it my whole life. I'm here today wanting to hear from God. I'm wanting, I'm thirsty in my spirit. I, I want to be filled I, I got a week to face. I got troubles and trials to face. I got folks I got to counsel and work with. And, and, and I'm telling you, this is an evil world. You can't make it without God's power. You need Him. We need Him today. Some are facing cancer. Some are facing surgeries. Some are facing divorce. And they come to God's house and they don't want to just go through a little, now I lay me down to sleep send me off to Frisch's afterwards they want to know that God's power is real that he's here and that we can touch him and answers to prayer can take place right here in this house yesterday Charlotte Adkins wrote me on Facebook and she started off and she said well you said you wanted testimonies and you want to know the good reports 
She's, and she, we've been praying with her for a couple of months now over some situations where the doctors had told her she more or less had cancer. She was getting ready to go through final tests to figure out what they were going to do. And we kept praying for a change report, praying that God would get in the middle of it, not afraid to look right into the face of God's throne and ask for a healing touch in her life. And she texted me yesterday and she said, I got the report and I have zero cancer. There is no cancer. Lord, make me a house. Make me a house of prayer. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. How many have had God answer a prayer in your life? You've had him answer prayers in your life. Amen. That's, that's where it's at. I spent 35 minutes with someone not too long ago who was 35 minutes they were trying to tell me trying to explain why the power of God doesn't work in churches today. They spent 35 minutes trying to tell me how you, you can go to church and you can serve God and read His Word, but there is no power in the church. So don't expect it. Don't, don't ask for it. God doesn't do that today. 35 minutes he sat there trying to convince me, and it took me about three to five minutes total to get through my list of every answered prayer that I'd ever been encountered with, that I've ever heard. It took me about five minutes to put that to flight. He moves. He answers prayer. He's a mighty God. He still blesses with supernatural power. He's an ever-present help, the Bible says, in the time of trouble. He's here today. And that's what church is all about. Coming together to read His Word, to be challenged, to live better to live more godly and to become more like Christ. And then in the meantime, we worship Him and we honor Him and miracles, signs and wonders take place in His midst. Amen? Do you have one more song? Go ahead. Well, play for me real soft because I want you to be seated. And I would like Caleb and Jennifer, if they would, to step into the altar. This is Caleb and Jennifer Brandenburg. Jennifer, we've gotten to know this last year. Her mom has been attending for quite a while, so we knew her. She'd slip in here on Sunday nights, and she'd fellowship with us, and we got to know her pretty well. Somebody else got to know her real well, Caleb. He met her, and within a couple of weeks, they were already getting married. And I was like, wait a minute. But being around them and, and talking with them at length and seeing what God has done in their life, when, when you know it's God, it happens quick. And God put this couple together. Now, Caleb has been with us most all of his life. I remember him as a little, little guy, just about sixth grade, I think it was. He was working the sound in children's church, and he had these glasses on and this plaid shirt, and he had this real nice cut, haircut. And I walked back there and saw this little sixth grader. I said, hey, man. I said, when are you coming up into youth group? And he says, I'll be there next year. All right, I can't wait for you to get there. From that moment forward, the relationship developed with him, and he's been someone I've been privileged to mentor as a son in the Lord and to pray with. And I was there the night at youth camp. He and I were praying in the altars at youth camp when God filled him with the Holy Ghost. I've been there with him at, at different times in his life when he felt called to ministry. And I'm very proud of he and Jennifer. Today, we get the privilege of doing something that, that is both joyful, it's kind of bittersweet, 
it's joyful on one end and it's a little sad on the other they're fixing to hightail it out of here and move to Kentucky um, some people call that God's country I don't know but the Lord has laid it on their heart and they are going to be involving themselves in a ministry down in Kentucky at the Church of the Living God in uh, I believe it's uh, Winchester, Kentucky so they're going to be there working alongside of a pastor and a, and a pastoral team and God has called them to go into this time, this season of ministry for them and so they're going to be moving and going down there to begin that work uh, this will be their last service with us They'll be back to visit quite often. They have family back there that better, you know, they better come back and see. Uh, not to mention us. We love Jennifer and Caleb, don't we? Amen. Won't you stand with me? I would like our pastoral staff, if you would, come forward, stand in behind them. Ministers, if you're here, I would like you to come forward. Caleb, Jennifer charge you with the word of God I figured I could say a bunch of things I could talk about how much I love you and how much you mean to me and how much this hurts my heart while at the same time I'm very proud of you and I'm excited for what God's going to do in your life and you're leaving with the blessing of your church because we know that you're going out into the field for the harvest to build the kingdom and God has given you a wonderful opportunity to go and do that in church and ministry in Kentucky. And so we're going to pray over you, but I'll leave you a charge that comes right out of the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables but watch thou in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry in the name of Jesus would you now stretch your hands towards the altar as we anoint this couple and we pray over them, sending them forth out of our congregation into the field of harvest. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we pray over Caleb and Jennifer and lift them up to you. And we pray, Father God, that you will anoint them and empower them for your service. Empower them for your service. Lord, nothing less than the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be my witness. Lord, I pray over them. We anoint them and ask you to bless their steps, order their steps in favor before you. Let them sense and feel the mighty hand of God every step of the way. Let them know your blessing, supernatural strength and power. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father God, for your hand upon them, for your Holy Spirit who will sanction and order their steps and guide them and give them wisdom, give them grace, give them favor with the people. 
and give them opportunities, Lord. Keep them from all harm and bless them indeed abundantly and largely. And I pray over them today as we anoint them and send them forth from this church in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, giving you honor and praise for every soul, for every heart that is strengthened as they build the kingdom until you come. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. I love you. What is this about Kentucky being God's country? Amen. Thank you, choir. You're really done? You sure? Okay. If you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word. If you'd turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, verse 1. We're continuing. We're continuing to look into the word and we're looking at what it takes to be ready when the Lord comes. This is one of the things. I could have been selfish in this young couple. I raised Caleb in the Lord and so many along with his family and his father and mother and they have done a great job with him but I tend to take credit for some because I've spent a lot of time with him. But I, I could have been selfish and said, no, we need you right here. Stay here. I could have you know, used my pastoral authority and tried to convince him. But I know better. We're getting ready for the coming of the Lord. And we all need to be right where we need to be, where we're called to be, in order to do the work that God's called us to do. Sometimes we have to really do a head check and a heart check on where we are and what we're doing. This morning, I've entitled this message, and I wrestled over this, I think, in my nine years now, coming up nine years in May, that I've been your pastor, I've preached this, a message like this one other time. So I'm going to preach it this morning, feeling led of the Holy Spirit to do it, that our hearts, our minds, our spirits need to be prepared and ready. As the Lord is coming, we preached the first week, we started this series on, on being ready. We preached on occupying until he comes, which means we build and work the kingdom. We labor furiously. We don't have time to waste. We've talked about spiritual warfare and, and not letting strongholds and not letting the enemy. We've got to stay on guard and be filled with the power and the spirit of God. And then today, I want to talk about the trap of the tempter. The one who will do his very best to keep you spinning your wheels Wasting your time doing nothing for the kingdom until you even believe that there's nothing to do, that it's not even worth your time. The trap of the tempter. Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, 
Jesus said, you shall forgive him. That's tough. That's a lot tougher than we think. C.S. Lewis once said, forgiveness is a, is a, we all agree that forgiveness is a, a good practice until it lands on our doorstep and we got to be the ones to do it. That's hard. The NS, NAS version says, and he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. The NIV says, Jesus says to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. And the Amplified version, which is one of my personal favorites, said, and Jesus said to his disciples, temptations, that is snares, traps set to entice to sin are sure to come, but woe to him by, who, by or through whom they come. Father, we ask your blessings on your word this morning. Challenge us and speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Before I continue with the message, I did want to give you a, a Clayton Street update. Uh, you haven't heard, and several people are, are asking, you know, hey, where are we at? Where are we at? What's going on? I want to give you an update. Really, at this point, we're just still in a holding pattern. We don't have the building in our possession just yet. Um, the issue has been we, we couldn't, the, the owner couldn't find the title, so we hired an attorney to find the title. And so we've been doing our own title search, and in that title search, there has uh, come up with some some, uh, some stuff that needs to be dealt with by the former owners. And so they're in the, right now in the, in the middle of taking care of those issues. It should not be any major issue. As far as I know, it's confidential, so even I don't know what it is. But I know that they're taking care of that, and our lawyer is, is ready to move forward with all the paperwork that will bring that building into our own possession as soon as these things are taken care of. So I just wanted you to know somebody was like, well, have you done anything yet? And I'm like, no, we haven't done anything, not until it's ours. I can't do anything. Uh, we did cut the grass, and they were thankful. <laughs> but we really can't do much else until then. And when we do, one of the ways that we want to incorporate, I mean, we're going to need two, 300 people. And I'm so thankful for those who have stepped forward. I've had people step forward saying, Pastor, we're going to give money to help. I've had people, I'm well over $5,000 that's been promised already to help in repairs. I've had people say, I will work, I will do this, I will do anything you need. I'm a carpenter, I'm a plumber, I can do floors, I can do walls, I can sweep. One lady said, all I can do is sweep. I said, you're hired for free. <laughs> but what we're going to plan on doing is that once we own the building, then I'm going to be seeking out people who have special talents and abilities so that we can get a good team together of people that, number one, can help us assess what needs to be done. I'll need professionals to help me do that, so I'll be seeking you out wherever you are. And then we'll, once we've got an assessment of what needs to be done, then we'll start putting together volunteer teams to start one room at a time and begin the process of turning that into the Clayton Street Mission. So we're excited about that. I wanted to give you an update of where we are so that you would know what's happening. Um, is that good? Say amen. All right, all right. In this scripture that I read to you, as I said, we've been preparing our hearts over the last couple of weeks, getting ready for the coming of the Lord. And 
there have been a lot of reasons in current events and prophecy that has led us to, to look at those curious things and questions. And somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, you, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, the blood moons came and gone? And, and I, I looked at them and I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, I mean, you know, why didn't anything happen? I said, it did. Lots of wonderful things are taking place as the season of the Lord's return is upon us. Lots of wonderful things. I'm still as unmoved as ever that signs and wonders follow believers, and there are signs and wonders that tell us the coming of the Lord is close. And so I'm excited, and I'm still as excited as ever was, and I'm still sharing with people that the Lord is coming. And our part in all of this is that we are ready for his soon return. He's closer now than he has ever been. If you thought he was close last year or 20 years ago, imagine how close he is now. This is not a time for us to get lazy. This is a time when we stay ready. You know, someone said, well, you know, one of the reasons why I don't think you should talk about the end times is because then people just sit down and do nothing. I thought, what church do you go to? Because to me, if I know, if company's coming, honey, I get in there, I clean and stuff, I didn't even know it was dirty. I'm sweeping, I'm fixing, I'm folding, I'm putting stuff away. I want them to walk into my house and think I just live like that. <laughs> but if I'm thinking somebody's coming, there, there's my grandma and me coming out. Somebody's a coming. She'd say, my nose is itching me to death. Somebody's a coming. And I'd say, grandma, every time your nose itches, don't mean somebody's coming. She said, all right, you'll see. But we know that the Lord is coming. And in that process of being ready for his return, it is right for us to stay focused on what we need to do to be building the kingdom. We need sons and daughters saved. We need families restored. We need to, I heard a statistic, Brian was sharing with me this morning, a statistic that says that percentage-wise, more pastors take care of the petty problems inside church more than they do building the kingdom and finding the lost and bringing them to Christ. More time is spent fixing petty issues of offense. I'll let that sink in for a moment. More time is spent fixing in-house problems than actually being out winning the lost. That's why this morning I want to share with you on the subject titled Trap of the Tempter. Jesus said, be sure offenses will come. Be sure being offended or, or offending, these things are going to happen. It's amazing that in Luke chapter 16, the very chapter before this, Jesus is talking to them about don't fall into the trap of the love of money. Don't fall into that sin of the love of money. Don't let lust, don't let pride, don't let these things take your focus and take your attention away from your heart and your life. And then he gets a little closer and he says, and once you've accepted you're a believer, then understand and know this. In 17, he begins right off and says, be sure. Now listen, offenses are going to come. People are going to hurt you. People are going to offend you. They're going to make you mad. They're going to get on your nerve. They're going to be in your face. They're going to say things that wound your spirit. You're going to be offended. Jesus said, be sure offenses are going to come. 
And he said, he talked about like two people in that. He said, first of all, woe unto him through whom they come. If you're one of those cruel, rude, bitter, mean, angry people that cause offense, that go out and just rip people's heads off and trash people and talk about them and tear them down and don't care to wound them and hurt them, Jesus says, woe unto you. He said, it'd be better that you'd put a rock around your neck and throw yourself into the sea than for you to do what you're doing to these little ones. And that word little ones there, you got to remember, it doesn't mean it's not just children. It is talking about the young or the young in their wisdom, in their mature years, immature, new converts, people who could be easily deceived. Jesus said, woe unto you. If you're one of those people that cause strife, we sometimes, see, we think that sometimes, you know, as long as we're not going down to the tavern, and I said this in the 830 service, Sister Murphy was here, and, and Elsie Murphy is just one of the godliest ladies you'll ever meet in your life. She's served the Lord and served our church for many years, and she was in that service, and I said, it's not likely that I'm going to hear Sister Murphy has been down at the tavern doing karaoke and dancing on the bar stool, you know. I'm not going to hear that she's been down there hooping it up and hollering. I'm not likely that we had somebody else. I made, I made a statement. I said, you know, we're not li- I'm not likely to see Sister So-and-So sitting down at the, at the Miami Valley Gaming doing the slot machine, screaming with a siren going off. You know? And sure enough, somebody confessed after service that they had been down there. I said, I promise I didn't know. I had no idea. She laughed it off. It's not likely that we're going to find too many murderers in here or too many uh, people who, who take money, thieves, robbers, people breaking into houses. We're not likely to find a whole bunch of that in the church. But we sometimes comfort ourselves with that fact And we forget about the little foxes that spoil the vine. We forget about the little things that the Bible actually says. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God hates a murderer. They pretty much know they're lost and they need God. And God kind of just leaves that alone. But he does say he hates something else. He says he hates gossips, backbiters, talebearers, and those who cause division. The Bible says God hates that. Hates it so important that we understand and check ourselves. Jesus said, hey, and and you understand that those things that God hates, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. He says, hey, be sure that offenses are going to come. Offense, stumbling blocks for you, enticements for you to sin are going to come. And he says, woe to the one who does it. But then he goes on to talk about the one who gets offended. Jesus anticipated the question, what happens happens if you're not the one who sinned, but you're the one that's been betrayed, you're the one that's been wounded, you're the one that's been hurt? Jesus looked at them and said, forgive. Forgive seven times in a day. If they come back to you and say they're sorry and they've offended you that many times, Forgive them that many times. 
And what that's really saying, it's not saying on the eighth time you get to sucker punch him right in the face. That is seven times you have offended me today. Step up here. By law and God's word, I am allowed to flatten you. No. The number seven is God's number. It represents completion and wholeness. It's the perfect number. The perfect number. Which means he was saying, it's infinite. Forgive him every time. I can't do that, Pastor. You don't know my situation. I know. None of us can do that. Remember what I said earlier? We're all born takers. And it, the whole idea behind the crucified Christ coming into our lives is that he transforms and changes our taker nat natural abilities and, and our lifestyle, and he turns us into givers. His love changes us. His love causes us to, to love others and to want to serve and to want to be a giver. I didn't want to give until I became a Christian. I'm just being honest. Maybe you were one of those really good people that have always wanted to give no matter what. Even before you became a Christian, I was always looking out for number one. I was always taking care of me and my needs until I became a Christian. Then I found out there was a secret, a mystery in my faith that when I gave, more came back to me. And the way to receive was to give. I learned that powerful, powerful truth. When Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, he wasn't talking about the fact that it's just going to, you know, it's just going to be a change of thought and it's going to, you're going to get a pat on the back. The Bible is telling us these secrets and truths in the word because it's the things that transform us and change our lives and make us little Christ. Somebody said one time, well, you ain't Jesus. And in a way, that kind of hurt me a little bit. Not because I want people to, I don't have a God complex and I'm not an egomaniac and I think everybody ought to see me that way. But you know what? I'm striving every day, WWJD. I'm striving every day in my life to look more and more like him and to be like him, to talk like him. I am nowhere near it, but I'm trying and I'm striving every day. Prayer life and my word life, as I spend more time with him, I begin to understand him more, and I become more like him. The greatest compliment I ever received in my life was when I worked at this company when I was young, and, and I, was, I had been there for three weeks, and there was a whole bunch of ladies, just talky, chatty ladies up front in the office, they all in cubicles, and they all just shared with each other. And I worked in the back, I was the warehouse guy, and so I was taking care of shipping and receiving, and I had to come up and make copies, and I'd walk through that office, and they'd all just stare at me. You know, for three weeks, I got the eye. And on the third week, I was in the room making copies, and this lady, her name was Peggy, I'll never forget her, she pops her head around the corner, and she goes, hi, I'm Peggy. I said, hi, Peggy. She said, I got a question for you. And I said, okay. She goes, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. She said, I knew it. She popped her head back out, and she goes, he is. And they all were like, yeah, we knew it. We were watching you. I was like, wow. But you know, I went back to my office, and I sat in my desk, and I had my eyes filled with tears. 
And I said, way to go, God. That highest compliment I could ever receive in all my life is never having met them, but them seeing Jesus in me. That's the greatest compliment that anyone can give you, can give you. The greatest compliment that anyone can ever give you is when they see you as Jesus with skin on. To look more and more like him. So we've got to check ourselves and be careful because it's the offenses that, that tear that down in our lives. It's being offended. If you're one of those people that get offended all the time, or if you're someone that does the offending, check yourself. Grow up in God. Don't be a part of the very things that God hates. Hates. He won't bless it. He won't use it. And in your life, it transforms and changes you, and it makes you an imposter. You know them. Can we just be real? You know who they are. The people who rip, roar, and tear down, and gossip, and backbite, and offend, and get mad, and talk about people. You know who they are. You know who they are. If, if they even attend our fellowship, you know them. You know them when they walk in the door. You see them coming, and you're like, mm, don't tell them anything. There are people you trust. There are people you don't. There are people that have betrayed your confidence. There are people that have lied on you, hurt you. They have wounded you. You know who they are. Offenders are in our midst, no doubt. And maybe you sit here this morning. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're a non-believer. And you've come to church today and you've said, I've been so hurt, hurt through the years. I've been wounded by the church. I don't want anything to do with God because of that. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't offend people. I'm not talking about the fact that the cross, the cross offends us all. The cross should be an offense to us. But the love of Christ, the honesty and the purity and the character of Christ will never offend you or hurt you, will never betray you. He said he would never forsake you. But people, sorry. I wish I could say that all of the Christians in the world are pure, holy, and great, walking around sanctified and speaking in tongues and reading Bible everywhere they go. I wish I could tell you that people were perfect when they accepted Christ. I can tell you that people get saved and God saves their soul. But they live in a fleshly body until the day they die. We all do including you, you're not perfect. Some people would be like, what? You're not perfect. You offend, you hurt, you wound. You're used sometimes to hurt others. And we all must check ourselves we all must evaluate ourselves and stay ready. Jesus said offenses will come. He was more or less saying, hey, look, it's in humanity. It's going to come. Woe unto him who does the, the offending. And to you who are offended, don't let it become a stumbling block. 
Don't let it become something that inhibits you and causes you to build walls to where you become useless and an imposter. Because the true liberation of God's work in our lives should not be tainted by the stumbling blocks and hindrances in our lives. This is tough. This is tough. I'm asking you to lay down your offenses. I'm asking you to lay down the stumbling blocks, to lay down the offenses, the wounds, the hurts, where people have offended you. The enemy sets a trap. He baits it with offense. Did you see the way they looked at me? Did you hear what they said to me? I saw them whispering to somebody and they were looking at me. You know they were talking about me. Whether it's real and they were talking about you, or whether it's just perceived in your mind, either way, it becomes an offense. You act on it, you live on it, you walk on it, you become that offense. It's so important that we stay clear, stay true to living out and meditating on the word of God that builds us so that we don't allow offenses to come. And trust me, let's, let's turn the screw in a little tighter. It's not always the people out in the world that offend you. It's not just the lost that will offend you. If they offend you, you don't expect very much out of them. So it really, you just kind of blow that off most of the time. You might get mad and write a letter. You might call the manager. You might, you might do something to someone who offends you out in the world. But you, by and large, it don't affect dinner or change your personality. But the ones that affect us are the ones we're closest to. The ones we love. The ones we've had fellowship with. Family, friends, church. Oh, we get offended. We get offended and it, it changes us. We get hard. We get bitter. We get unforgiveness. And it begins to stack up in our lives until it finally becomes who we are. I made a mistake this year in a potted plant on my back deck. I literally didn't realize it would be a problem. I took a poinsettia plant that was nearly dead and I put it in a container on my deck. And I thought, I'm going to try to nurse it back to life. And, and it, it actually started regrowing and it was doing well. Then I dropped my favorite thing in the whole world, Esperanza, is I love jalapenos. I love them. I love jalapenos on everything. I'll put it in ice cream. I'll put it on my macaroni and cheese. I put it on toast. I put jalapenos in everything. I was at a restaurant over the weekend, and I told the waitress, I said, bring me a salad. And I said, could you just sprinkle it with jalapenos? And she goes, really? I'm like, Yeah. I have it on everything. And so I bought a package of seeds and I took those jalapeno seeds and I dropped them down in that same pot looking for the dirt and put them, covered them up thinking, it'll be fine. I'll grow me a little couple of jalapenos over here. Well, it meshed together with that poinsettia and they became one plant together. And it grew up like, like from here, grew up that high. And they bushed out. There were 30 jalapenos on my bushy tree, and they were turning red like the poinsettias. It was awesome. Everything was just Christmassy, and it was 
great. And everything was coming together, and you couldn't even figure out what leaves were where. And it was all just meshed in there together. And I decided over one weekend, I started Friday, I took a whole bunch of them. I cut them all up. I put them in everything. I put them in a sandwich. I put them on everything. I thought about putting them on my cereal. I was like, I love jalapenos. I'm cutting them up, and I'm putting them on, and they're like really hot. I even took one and just started eating it like, bun, like Bugs Bunny. I'm just eating that jalapeno, and just, oh, it was awesome. Until about an hour, and all of a sudden, I got deathly ill. I got a fever. I got a stomach. I got cramps. I got, it was terrible. I am like dying. I am on the floor. I'm calling my family. I'm texting all my sisters. Who, you know, when I'm, when I'm going through it, I text all my sisters because they, like, want to come running over. You know, oh, Ray. You know, they're, they're like my mom on steroids, you know. So it's like they, they're all wanting to know what's wrong. And, and I'm laying in the floor in my house. And I'm like, oh, my, I think it's my gallbladder. I think it's, I'm having an attack. This is horrible. And I finally, I was like, okay, I'll eat another jalapeno. And I'm eating another one. And I'm eating another one. And I keep eating them. And I keep getting sick. And every time I eat one, I'm getting sicker and sicker all through the weekend. And then I go on the Internet. I had this crazy thought. I thought, should I have grown jalapenos with a poinsettia plant? In the first article I read, is it says, do not feed any pets or animals any poinsettia leaves. It is poison to them. I'm like, what about the humans? <laughs> and I'm like, you should not cross... You should not cross-breed these plants. You should not put, and it's like, poinsettias, do not let your children eat them. And I'm like, I'm dead. <laughs> it was horrible. I told you that because it came very real to me. You, you can't mix stuff like that. It was all together. I mean, you squeeze the jalapeno leaves, and the same milky juice comes out of them that comes out of the poinsettia. And I'm like, these are like, they've become one together. And now the jalapenos, I see them now, and I'm like, stay away from me. I honestly thought I was having a gallbladder attack. It was terrible. I was ready to call 911. And as soon as I stopped eating them, I got better within hours. I was like, wow. But isn't that exactly what we're talking about? You've been saved. You've been sanctified. You've been filled with God's presence. You are a poinsettia. Or let's go to the jalapeno. <laughs> because the, the poinsettia was the one that was poisoned. But you, you, got, you got this beautiful, the green leaves and the jalapenos. and They were big, Sister Elaine. They were huge. I mean, they were like that long and that fat. And they were just gorgeous. They were beautiful. People were pride. I even took a picture and put it on Instagram. It's like, this is my jalapeno. And I'm like, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. We're saved, we're sanctified, we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We're transformed by God's power and we're taught to think like a jalapeno. And then we allow in our root system, we allow something else to start tangling up all in there. Some unforgiveness and bitterness and a root of evil starts to build right in there and the poison sets in. And the next thing you know, the same nourishment is coming all from the same plants, and they're so wrapped up in each other that they become one another. And there that root of bitterness has now moved in and destroyed and poisoned that jalapeno bush. And the same with us. 
We allow the roots of bitterness. We allow unforgiveness. We allow the hurts of the world. We allow the woundings to start putting a wall between us and our fellow believers. And we begin surrounding ourselves like a fortress. And we only trust the only people we trust are others who are just as offended as we are. And we pull our little crowd in, find people that will listen to us and people that will sympathize with us. And we pull our little group in and we all stand looking at all those offenders and we all are divided and we're doing nothing for the kingdom of God. And the devil looks, turns around and says, I don't have to worry about this place. He doesn't even show up. He doesn't even assign an imp to places like that because there's no need. There's so much disunity and so much dis division and so much hurt and wounding and unforgiveness and bitterness that the devil says, I don't even need to mess with them. So we have got to be, as Christians, on guard for what we feed our minds and our spirits. We have to understand and know the enemy baits a trap. You know, when you bait a trap, you bait it with something that entices them. I'm not going to, I learned a lesson a long time ago. Don't put bread on, on a, a, a trap for a rat. They don't like bread. Put cheese on the trap. Sat there for weeks or for a couple days looking at the trap and the bread was just getting stale and hard. It wouldn't even touch it. But the moment, and it was out on my deck, it was trying to eat a hole on my deck, and I was watching this thing, and I wanted to get rid of it. When I put the cheese on this thing, it turned it all around, and I watched it disappear, and then the animal went to heaven. <laughs> I'm a murderer. <laughs> The enemy comes along and baits your trap. He baits the trap. It'll end up being someone close. Psalms 55 and 12 tells us, it says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Most often is it a fellow believer who's hurt you. The closer the relationship, the, the more severe the offense becomes. We've got to check ourselves and make sure that we understand these are traps for us. They will render you powerless. The power of God, the blessings of God will not be on your life nor anyone that you're around. You will become an imposter You'll look like a believer, you'll talk like a believer, you'll walk like one, but you won't be one. Jesus said to those that stood before him, who confessed to how they have done this in his name, and cast out demons in his name, and preached in his name, and he looks at them and says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I didn't even know you. It's, it can be possible that we are deceived, deceived, I've said this for years, Deception is a crazy thing because when you are deceived, the thing about deception is that you don't know it. You don't know it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be deception. When you are deceived, you have no idea. When that rat goes towards that cheese, it has no idea that one bite's his last. 
trap has been set. When the enemy waits and lingers around your relationships, he doesn't go looking for lost people to hurt you. He looks for your best friends. He looks for your family. He looks for your husband and your wife. He looks for that, those people that are closest to you. He looks into the body of Christ. He looks in the church and says, where can I set the trap? What can I get them to say that will hurt and, be, and betray and offend one another? How do I do that so that it best accomplishes Rendering them imposters, powerless, no answered prayers, disillusion, deception, so that when it's all said and done, you don't even act or look like a child of God. Then the world says, I told you there was nothing to it. They're just as mean, just as bitter. They're just as judgmental and condemning as anybody else. They talk about a change in their life, but I don't see it. And you know what? Sometimes they're right. Because we have allowed offense to change us. Stand with me this morning. Jesus said... It is impossible to live this life and not have the opportunity to be offended. The question is not, will you encounter an offense? The question is not, will this happen in your life? It will happen. It may happen today. It might happen before you get out of the building. It may have happened 10 years ago and you have been not talking to certain people or, or you've not had good relationship or fellowship with some in years because of offense. Jesus said, woe to the one who offends. And he said to you who have been offended, forgive. Seven times in a day. And when this is at work, when this is our practice, then it makes us children of God. And it makes us little Jesus in our hearts walking around living a godly life and example in front of others. God wants to take the crazy part of our lives, the offended part of our lives. He wants to transform us all. He wants to change our life. If you still have a life where you look and act like you did before salvation, you need to be seeking God, seeking the transformation that changes you from the old nature the old, offended, taking nature, selfish, mean, unnatural part of you. Take all of that, surrender it, and give it to God, and let him transform and change your life. You need to look, act, talk like Christ. And if we make that our determined priority, God, I want the, the lost to come in here and say, man, there's something about them that is amazing. I want the world to look at us and say, you can watch them in private or you can watch them in public. But whenever you do, they're the same. They're always, 
always got this gracious personality. They've got this kindness and this forgiving nature. They don't get angry. They don't get violent. They don't get cruel and rude. It's not in them to do that. It's not their nature. Even though it very well could have been. But they have been transformed and changed by the power of God. We need more testimonies of transformed lives and people who are consistent to live that out so that the world may know. Elijah called the fire down on Mount Carmel and he said, Lord, send your fire so that these people will know that you are God. That is my prayer this morning. I pray, Tim, that God will send his fire on this congregation in such a way that it completely burns out all of the natural, offensive, hurts, wounds, all of the parts of us that are either givers or takers. It shows the world that he is God. They need to see him in you. I've said it, I think I said it last week. I'm going to say it again in closing. An old Truth song. I used to love the group Truth. I have all their albums. Some of you young people have no idea who they are. My favorite, one of my favorite songs was, They'll Know the Tomb is Empty When They See That Your Heart is Full. When they see his reflection in you, Don't be an offender. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. Don't let the enemy set a trap for you. Set bait for you. And you take a bite. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Are you here today? And you have been perhaps offended, wounded, hurt in your life. You don't know Christ, but you've said in your heart, I'll never do it. There's been too much hurt. Do you need him today? He will not fail you. And he will transform and change your life. He'll heal the hurts inside you. Are you here today and you need Christ? If you are, we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray together with you right here, right where you're standing. We're going to pray this prayer to receive Christ. Are you here? And you need him. Lift up your hand right where you are. God bless you, son. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Several hands have went up. I I need Christ today, and I'm not leaving without him. I've allowed hurts and wounds to keep me from it, perhaps. I'm not going to let anything stop me from being a Christian. I'm going to serve God today. Is there anyone else? One more. Yes, God bless you. I see your hand. Amen. Thank God for these. Christians, we're going to pray now with them. I want to invite you as we begin this prayer, if you'd like special prayer, our pastors are in the altar now waiting. They want to believe with you and anoint you with oil and pray a prayer of faith with you. We believe in answered prayer here. And we will pray with you to receive answers to prayer in your life. So feel comfortable to come forward as we pray. But guys, you lifted your hand. Ladies, gentlemen, I want us to pray a prayer right now. That This prayer, prayed from your heart, 
will change your whole life. It's not just a magic formula of words. They're words that are meaningless unless they come from your soul. But if you say them in power from your heart and you truly believe them, the Bible says if a man believes in his heart, confesses with his mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that he's Christ, that that man is saved, that woman is saved. We're going to pray that prayer right now. And I'd like everyone to pray with me. Would you help me? Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I accept you as my Savior. You are God. You died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead. You bought my salvation. So I come to you. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to be strong, to live every day, transforming my mind and becoming a believer. By faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Again, if you would like special prayer, please, this is your time. We want you to feel comfortable to come into the altar and to pray. People are here waiting to pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you this evening at 6 o'clock. God bless you.